You're tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. October Recovery Podcast, Episode 19. This is that what inspired me um, to start this is I love hearing people's story. And when I'm at a meeting and people are are, um, up there talking, a lot of times I'm like, hold, I want to be, hold on, talk about this, but I can't, but now I can hear, you know what I mean? Which is cool. So, we're here with Karen. Hey. <laughs> we got a good vibe going on in here, too. We got the scent of the midsummer night candle. Yep. It's all good. Yeah. It's good. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for showing up. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we just we just talk, but the, the purpose is to share your story um, and to talk about recovery and or talk about like like the gentleman was saying this morning, he's like, early on, I couldn't listen to recovery. I just needed to hear, just don't drink. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I was going out of my mind. I just needed to not drink that day. Like, basically, he was like, fuck talking about recovery. I couldn't hear that. Yeah. Could you, like, could you identify with, with what he was talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had tried to, you know, quit drinking on my own before I went into AA. Yeah. Oh, you, okay. You know, you know there's a problem. Yeah. But you can't stop. Yeah. And when I first came into AA, when people would say, just don't drink. I'm like, well, how the hell do you do that? 
how do you not drink when you've been drinking for so many years? You know, I had a good 15, 15 year career with booze. And uh, how do you stop that? I can relate when somebody says, you know, every fiber in my being wants a drink. Mm. And even though you're sober, let's say for a week, you know, you are physically sober. Mm. But, you know, this is where the disease centers in the mind. Mm. And the first year I came into AA, I, I couldn't stay sober. I would get a month, I'd drink. Two months, I'd drink. Three months, I'd drink. I just could not face the fact that I had to let go of alcohol. Mm. And it was terrifying for me because I would think, okay, I know if I stop drinking, you know, I'll physically feel better. But what about, what about how I feel when I drink? You know, I'm not inhibited. I feel free. Yeah. I feel like I don't care what people think of me. Yep. It gave me this sense of almost euphoria. I mean, and I think that's what makes us different from normal people that drink, even if they're heavy drinkers. I mean, when I take a sip of booze, automatically I feel better. Mm. And it gets me amped up. Like, I want the party to go on and on. Yeah, it's funny that you say that when, um, you know, because it's a depressant. Yep. But for me, it was like drinking a Red Bull. Like, literally, I can remember, and it's so this is this is awesome that you sparked this. So, for instance, say it was Saturday afternoon, and I, you know, at, at the end, I had already been drinking all morning, hiding it. And then I would be groggy and I and I would like say say I didn't you know, I, I didn't drink for like four or five hours and it was like five in the afternoon. One beer would like be like a Red Bull for me. And that's so funny because it works the opposite for us. Like for most of the most of the time, it didn't make me tired. It amped me up. That's exactly what it did for me. And, you know, and that's helpful when you're singing on stage all the time. Oh, yeah, because you're a singer. That's how it started, you know, getting that anxiety out of you. And, you know, it's funny. My voice teacher said to me, have a glass of wine. Little did she know. Little did she know because she's not an alcoholic. So she has a glass of wine when she does her gigs and it works beautifully for her. And, you know, hey, I drank in high school very rarely. And I drank in college very rarely. I didn't want anything to do with it, Hmm. which I know that's not everybody's story, but that's mine. I mean, I like to be in control. And when I finally, you know, started drinking, you know, I was like, oh, this is the way I've always wanted to feel. This is it. I found it. And even though prior to that, I think I was around 27 when I discovered that feeling. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I had been drinking beer. Never drank hard stuff. And then I was dating this guy and he took me over to his mom's house for Thanksgiving and she had the table set beautifully with place cards and little favors and, you know, bottles of wine on the table. And that was the first time I had a glass of wine. Wow. And I remember it distinctly, like taking it and drinking it and feeling like everything is good. It was on. And then, you know, I was kind of off and running with it, but in control, like not missing work. You know, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I go for my runs, you know, 
go to the gym, whatever it was, it didn't, it didn't interfere because it wasn't centered in the mind just yet. But then when I got into my thirties, it started taking off. Yep. So as a young, so your story isn't as a young kid, you, you didn't, you didn't start to drink early on. No, I mean, you know, I remember in college, I think I got drunk like twice. Yeah. And I didn't even really like it. Like, that's the thing, mm. you know? Mm. Um, Cause again, I didn't like to be out of control. Right. Right. I always felt like I had to be in control of what I was doing. And then it was wine. Yeah. That was the magic potion. Yeah. When you look back now at your childhood, because you hear now it's like um, you can see alcoholic behavior even when you were a kid. Can can you can you see that? Well, you know, I had two type A parents and they were both really intense people. Mm. Um, my father never drank. He, he hated alcohol and he hated people that were drunk. He couldn't stand it. Huh. And he never, he just didn't like it. So, and he didn't hang around with anybody that drank. And my mother, she would have a drink every night. And um, I think she may have been, been on her best behavior with my dad because, you know, he was kind of controlling. So I don't know if that's alcoholic behavior. Um, I didn't grow up with alcohol until my parents divorced. And my mother married my stepfather when I was eight. And he was an alcoholic, but he was the type of drinker that would be totally fine and then go on a bender for like four or five days mm. and then wouldn't come home. And then my mother would be out of her mind. And um, I just remember her throwing the clothes on the front lawn and oh yeah, the whole thing. So that to me was alcoholism. Like I thought somebody that drank left their family for four or five days and then didn't come home. Right. That's what I thought. And I'd only seen him drunk maybe three times. And the three times that I saw him drunk, one time my brother actually punched him, knocked his teeth out. Oh, yeah. Yep. So it's crazy, you know, but that was my idea of an alcoholic. I had no idea what alcoholism was. Mm, and may I. Yeah. And maybe had I known at that age, I don't know if it would have made a difference or not, but I just wasn't around it. So I wasn't either. Yeah. I I was around. It was socially my social circles was um you know, you go whatever to somebody's house and the and it was everybody was drinking or at least mm -hmm. I I thought everybody was drinking. Now, I mean, some people weren't, most people were, but very few were drinking excessively except for me. <laughs> Except I, for you. I remember when I first got sober, we went to my my cousin's 30, 40th birthday party, I think. And it was on a Saturday afternoon at like three. And I was dying. Like I was, you know, it was new. I was new. And I was, people were drinking. The bar was open. It was at a Knights of Columbus. And, um... It was difficult for me, and I was watching everybody. Yeah. And I continued to watch the first hour, the second hour, and by the third hour, nobody was drinking anymore. And I was like, people actually stopped. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember saying that to my wife. Like, it was, it was a revelation for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't ever, I never saw other people stop. We don't. 
We don't see it mm. because we're so caught up on our own drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's the crazy thing about alcohol. You know, it's almost like losing a lover. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's so great in the beginning. And that's if I reminisce about alcohol, which I do because I'm an alcoholic. So I'm going to reminisce about it. And what I miss, I think, is the innocence of when it was okay, yeah. when I was okay. Mm. Um, that's what I miss about it, when I could have a good time and then it wasn't in my head. It wasn't centered in my mind, like, when can I drink again? Or I'm going to this gig and I know it's not open bar at this gig, so I got to bring my own. Like, when did that switch flip? Yeah, when it started controlling yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's so perplexing about this disease. And you know, when I first was getting sober, I had to know why. Why me? Like, why did this happen? How did it happen? Could I have changed it? You know, I was so mad. I was angry. I was angry that I couldn't enjoy booze like I used to enjoy booze. Because at the end of it, I was not having fun with it. It became a necessity. I mean... Everything I did, I had to have a little bottle of wine in my purse just to take the edge off. I want to. I, I want to hear about this. I want to hear about your progression. But I want to ask first. So when you when you were coming in and out and you were struggling there, uh, um, you know, a month at a time. So was this like five, four or five years ago? Actually, I came into AA uh, 2013. So that was six years ago. Okay. So the whole. The whole year of 2013 was me trying to get sober. And I, looking back on it now, and I knew it then, I was terrified. I was terrified to drink. I was terrified not to drink because I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I didn't know what I had become. Alcohol was driving. It was running my life. Yeah. I yeah. asked that because I, re- I remember. Yeah. I remember seeing you. And we knew each other mm-hmm. from from school and and you know from the the town we live in. Yeah. And um, so it it was one of those things where I was like, and and I still to this day when I go to a meeting and I see somebody new from my town, I get excited. It's more excitement than it is sorrow for the person, definitely. Because you I see hope. Yeah, 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 and I, and I loved and I right. I guess, yeah, and it's it's somebody I know, and I'm like, oh, you know, finally, not finally, because I didn't, you know, sometimes I never knew they belonged here, but when I see that person, I'm like, come on, you know, come on, join join the train. But at the same time, I do understand that it's 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 very difficult, and they're going through a difficult mm-hmm. time. And I so I saw you, and I would, um, you know, we didn't we didn't we said hi and stuff like that, but I didn't know what you were going through, but I could tell that you were going through it. Oh, yeah. it was painful, you know. And you would, ex- you know, part of that was you speaking up and going up and getting a month chip yeah. or a 24-hour chip or a three-month chip. Yeah. And I was learning. I was like, okay, she got a month like five months ago, but okay, this is what this means. You yeah. know, like this is how, that's how I learned. I was still new to the program. You know, I, I'm so, but. November 2012. November what? 27th. Ah. No, that's my birthday. November 23rd. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is also my birthday, right? Hey! <laughs> it was the best birthday gift you gave yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. But um so that's why I asked that and that's why I just wanted to share with you what I saw, you know. It was painful. 
Yeah. So t- like take me up to that. You know, you so you you went to high school. It was you weren't in the party scene. Were you a uh, cuz you're a singer now. Mm-hmm. Were you in bands and stuff? Oh my god. Like Always. in high school? Oh yeah, I was the lead singer of the jazz ensemble. Um Yeah. Junior, senior year, and I was on all the plays. I had the second lead. Oh, you were yeah. because I wasn't. I yeah. My daughter is a senior, and we have good friends whose kids are in the theater program, and it's called um, Falcon Eyes. It's like an acapella group. Yeah, and there's another. I one did that. That yep. he's in. So I. I mean, I love the. Th- I thoroughly enjoy going mm-hmm. to these theater programs but you were in theater huh and oh you excelled I loved it yeah yeah I mean I knew since I was two years old I wanted to sing yeah. and that's all I wanted to do with my life so you know when you're two years old and you sing for people and they're clapping for you you're like hey maybe there's something to this mm. you know and then as you know I always had really positive feedback from you know dancing school teachers and elementary school teachers and um yeah you know, yep. so it started with the lead in eighth grade, and then I was always the character role, you know, second lead. What, what was the musical or the show in eighth grade? Guys and Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you would never forget it, right? Yeah, Guys and Dolls, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, that really was, you know, something else. You know, I admired my teachers, um, Barry Lowe, Dave Dubinsky, God rest his soul, Uncle Mike. You know, those those guys were like my mentors. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still very close with them. Thank God they were a gift to me. You know, teachers are so important. Of course, that didn't prevent me from being an alcoholic. Yeah. But it gave, me, it gave me a really good, solid foundation underneath. I mean, underneath, you know, I'm a good human being. Yes, you are. You know, and so, like, I always knew that, but not... Not when I was drinking the way I was drinking, you know. Not when that was happening. Yeah, I, we weren't ourselves. We weren't. We weren't. I being hated myself. Who we were meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so did you do it in college? Did you go into college and, and? Yeah, I never drank when I was in college until my senior year. But did you perform? Did you go to? Oh yeah, pool? I went to Berkeley College. Oh, of music. there you go. Yep. Of course you. <laughs> yep, I went there and I was in all the shows and I was great at networking and I got gigs from my teachers and I was very involved in the college and in the performances and yeah. um, I it's, loved it. Yeah. It's and I a, had a band, you know, I was always singing. I joined a band when I was 17 years old. What was that? Uh, what was the name oh, of the you, band? Do you ha- can you name it? Of course. It was called Mental Images. Okay. And it was with Dave Fisher from Middleton uh, and Dave Bazanson, actually. Dave in- yes. Bazanson, the drummer, Yeah, of he introduced me to him. Wow. Yeah, it's just such, you know, it's Buzza. just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He yeah. lives in Alaska now, doesn't he? Yes, he is. No, I think he's in Oregon. Wow. Yeah. So, and it's funny. So you have this disease brewing in you that mm-hmm. you don't know, and you're in a friggin' band. And what a what a band. What what is what a rock and roll singers do? Well, I'll tell you. Like when we would do our gigs, um, I would see the same people at our gigs, and thank God, you know, we had a we had a good little fan base for our teenage rock band, you know. And we did some good gigs. We played the Top Seal Fair. We did the um, Jerry Lewis Telethon, you know, playing outside in the mall. And we had all those types of gigs. And um, I just remember we were playing some Chinese restaurants. And so when you when you played those restaurants, they gave you like a three-day gig. So it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so 
I remember clearly being on stage and looking out in a smoke-filled room and everybody drinking and dancing, and I never thought, oh my God, they're having so much fun. I thought, oh my God, I never want to be that. And not that I didn't respect these people or, or wasn't grateful that they were there because I was, but it's so funny how at that moment I remember that, and then mm-hmm. years later... I ended up being one of them. Mm. So how did that go? How did that progress? So you went to college. What happened? You graduated. Did yep. you go to, did you move? Did you leave? Uh, yeah, I, I immediately went to Los Angeles. Oh. And, um, you know, all my friends were moving there. So I thought, you know, I might as well go out there. But in my instinct, in my down deep in my heart, I was like, I do not belong in Los Angeles. Like, mm. this is not the place for me. So when I left, I was doing radio jingles here. I was doing national ads. I had a great band that I was in. I was making really good money. And I went to LA and I was only out there for a little less than a year when I decided I got to go back to Boston because I didn't want people to forget who I was. And that's how this business is. If you leave and you leave for too long, you know, Mm. they find other people to, Mm. uh, you know, replace you. So So you thought there were bigger and better things? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though deep down inside I knew LA was no place for me, but that's okay. I lived and learned. Again, another another thing pointing to like you didn't know who you were. Like no. you went and you knew down deep that it wasn't for you, but you went anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then what happened? And uh, you know, looking back I, I did quite a bit of drinking out in LA. Um, And then I came back and uh, I decided that I wanted to get physically in shape, like really in shape. So my brother and I would go out for these runs. He'd take me to the gym and train me. I got into a new band. I started doing session work again. And then I got into this really great gig where I was playing on the Cape every weekend. And It was in Plymouth and it was called the Inn for All Seasons. And so these two brothers owned this place and they were also musicians. So they were, you know, they were the house band. So one was the keyboard player, one was the guitar player. They both sang. And I got this gig from another friend of mine at Berkeley. And so every, every weekend I was there and I loved that whole vibe. And I did start drinking, you know, and, but I never, I never got like, Shit-faced. So it was still dormant at this point. Yeah, I could still kind of control it. I mean, couple couple times, you know, like on a Halloween party one night, you know, after the gig, we all hung out and I got drunk. It didn't ramp. It, it just, but it, it wasn't rampant. No, mm. it wasn't. And um, that's so interesting. Yeah, I know. Like, like it it took a while for this to get Brew. uncovered. Yeah. So okay, tell me about it. I want to hear. So you know, then I got into you know, and I and then I got married. Um, what year are we talking? Ish. This is ninety four. Okay, I just like to keep. Oh, actually, no, I got married line. in ninety six. Sorry. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. June twenty second. There you go. Mine was May twenty fourth. Mm. And uh, anyway, so I married this guy. Um, he was really popular around here. Great guitar player. Great singer. And. I really started knowing him because I was doing some session work with him. He was also a recording engineer. So we met and he had this quirky personality and it was I kind of liked him for that. And he was, like I said, you know, I, I really fell in love with who he was um, or who I thought he was. And the minute he introduced me to his family, you know, we're talking Irish and Italian. They love to drink and they were musicians and they love to sing. So, hey, 
the party was on and I thought, this is cool. Like, this is like normal. This is how people live. And so, you know, that kind of started it. And then, of course, I got pregnant. It wasn't even a thought. Of course, I wasn't going to drink when I was pregnant. And uh, and then after we got divorced, um, I was asked to come teach at Berkeley. Wow. Yeah. And with no well, experience. Quite an honor, huh? Yeah, it was. But Jeez. I was terrified. Yeah. Terrified. Um, and I was also on the road every weekend with my wedding band and then I had a, a baby a baby girl mm. so at two years old all this stuff when she was two years old all this stuff started happening divorce started a new job at Berkeley zero experience it was it was awful and then I started turning to the wine because the stress was just so overwhelming um you know I felt like I was drowning and um I felt like that for a good few years. Mm. But, you know, I worked hard. I've been there for 18 years now. But the first few years, it was really, really hard. And, you know, it was hard being a, a mother. And I just wanted I just wanted it to all go away. I just wanted it to all go away. And I'd never felt like that in my life. And, um, yeah, so that's when, the, that's when the booze started to uh, enter the picture. And then, you know, I was choosing bad mates, so to speak, um, as relationships. I was choosing men that either drank like me or didn't care. And um, I just kept going down. And the last relationship really was the, really was the bottom of the bottom because he drank worse than me. So I drank right along with him and it was like, you know, this movie by Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton called The Days of Wine and Roses. And if you ever see that, that's what this relationship was like. It was abusive. It was passionate. It was highs and lows and drama. And it was all because of booze. And, um, you know, my daughter had said to me, I hate being around you when you drink. And um, I have to tell you, part of me down inside was like, okay, fine. And that's awful for me to have to admit that. But that's where I was. That's where I was. Okay, well, go be with your father then. And that's not who I am. That's not the mother I am now. And that's not the mother I was when I started out. I mean, whoever's listening to this, you know, if you are an alcoholic, it will take everything from you, whether it's a slow progression or right out of the gate, it will take and take and take. That's what it does. And that's what it did to me. And by the end of my drinking, I was doing things I never would have done, putting myself in situations I never would have put myself in. And I had a good friend of mine that I did a lot of session, with, session work with, and we were also in a band together. And he said, Karen, I'm going to tell you something. Alcohol is running your life whether you know it or not. And if you don't get away from him and you don't put down the booze, you're going to be dead. And um, that was like one of those moments where the light switch is on, but it's not on. Mm. But that was one of the moments that I'll never forget. Yep. And then I finally was able to let go of that relationship. And, uh, you know, and then I cut back on my drinking. But then again, 
you know, I thought I was controlling it. And then it just took off again. Mm. And if you're an alcoholic and you have to control your drinking, you can only control it for so long. Mm. It's going to go off the rails. It, 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 you, it, there's no choice. I mean, no. even if you're trying to, it's so you're so far into it that you don't even know. Mm. And, you know, when you're carrying Sutter Home little wine bottles in your bag and you're hiding them in your car... You know, I used to hide. I used to hide the Sutter Home bottles like under the spare tire in the trunk, and I thought it was genius. I mean, I really did. Mm-hmm. I was like, no one's going to find them here. I mean, I was proud of myself. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> looking back on that, you know, it's absurd. You, you know, but that's where I was. And performing still that way. Oh yeah, I never got drunk on stage. I will say that. Wow. Yeah, I was able to just maintain this like cool buzz and I was a far greater entertainer in some ways and I'll tell you what I mean by that I'd go out in the audience I'd sing with them you know I was much freer much looser um and I'm not like that now so it was it was interesting how that got me out of myself and so when I sing now I have to remind myself not to be in myself if that makes any sense what do you mean by that Because, you know, even before I became an alcoholic, I always felt like I was two people. And that's where the grandiosity comes in. You know, living in the ivory ivory tower Mm. and then feeling like you're absolute Mm. shit. So it's like this polar opposite feeling. So I would have this grandiosity and then I would have this, you're a total piece of shit, you're a fraud. You know, nobody likes you. You know, it was crazy. The thinking, just the thinking alone. Mm -hmm. And then when I drank, I didn't care about that. I didn't care, like, you know, what people thought of me. Mm. All that stuff went away. And, um, but it's all false. You know, you're putting on a false self. I mean, what you're portraying to the world or what you're portraying in yourself, it's false. It's not, oh, God, I look back and um, I was not myself. I truly became another person when I drank. And sometimes it was a good time, and other times it wasn't a good time. And if you ask the people around me that loved me, it wasn't a good time for them at all. Mm. So how did you sort of come to terms and, and finally say, for me it was, you know, I never, I never planned on stopping. I, I didn't plan on it. I knew I was hurting my family and ones who loved me. And I knew I was getting myself into situations that I did not like these consequences. But I didn't, um, I would wake up the next morning and I guess for maybe while I was brushing my teeth, looking in the mirror, I was maybe planning on stopping, (laughs) you know, but I mean that I never, I never had a plan until, until the night when it all came crashing down. Yeah. When it all comes crashing down, yeah. I guess that definitive moment for me was, um, you know, after I was controlling my drinking for a while, my brother, who was a police officer, would tell me, we had a two family, so I was on one side, he was on the other, and he would say to me, Karen, you're going to get arrested, or you're going to kill someone, or you're going to kill yourself. He goes, I can hear you stumbling in at night, and he's like, you know, you got to stop drinking. Meaning you're going to kill somebody by with your car? Yeah. Same. I drove drunk all the time. You know, <laughs> I think back on that too. And I drank when, with my daughter in the car. 
Me too, Karen. You know, it's like I think about that and I just die inside. Like, how could I have done that? But I want I want to let's mark tape here where your brother said that to you because I want to go yeah. with that. Yeah. But talk about driving with with your kids in the car. I mean, I would and I used to hear about spiritual loss of values. And this is the this is um, like learning the program. When I came in, I wanted to know what everybody was talking about, and I'm like, "What are they talking about?" And I was like, "Spiritual loss of values. What the fuck is that?" Mm-hmm. And then I heard a woman say, "I used to drink nips with my kids in the back seat. Talk about spiritual loss of values, and it hit me right between the eyes. I mean." Perfect example, right? Saturday morning, wake up, put a couple shots in my body um, out of my, you know, bottle that I had hidden or my Poland Springs bottle. Oh, yes, I did that too. Poland Springs. Yep. (laughs) It's terrible. And then, uh, yeah. By the way, if you're drinking vodka out of a Poland Springs bottle, you may want to um, consider getting help oh yeah yep so i would take my kids to the park on a saturday morning because i was a good dad Mm -hmm. and while i was driving i would put my arm up so they wouldn't see me and take a swig out of the the actual vodka bottle now that i think about it and that's that's not who i was and fucking never mind driving drunk alone but driving with them in the car so I'm grateful today that I like I don't have to do that today. I don't have to pay that consequence today. That mm-hmm. makes me so oh that gives me such joy. Like today I know I don't have to do that. Yeah. Yep. So your brother, you come home and he's like, "What is up, Karen?" Like yeah. he's trying to help you. Yeah. And he's a cop. He's a cop. And I can't tell you how many things he's gotten me out of um being a police officer. Yeah. Got you out of some jams? He sure did. And he's <laughs> and he said, I can't help you anymore. Are there any that you could talk about or not? I have a funny one, yeah. I have it's not it's funny now. Yeah. Yeah, just and, because and, people might identify with this. Yeah, well, I was driving home from the Cape, right? And I'll tell you something. Coming home from gigs, I would drink in the car because I'd crank my tunes, have a little party, you know, insanity. So I'm driving home and I'm in my gig. You know, you're dressed up. My dressed look, up. Look, yeah, you yeah. look like, okay. you look, yeah. yeah. So I'm dry, and so this is from Chatham. So I'm in Plymouth at this point. I think I'm right past exit five. And the next thing I know, the blues are on and I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, not like, oh my God. It was like, all right, here we go. You know, you'll get out of this. So he comes over to me and, you know, I roll down the window and he's like, have you been drinking tonight, ma'am? And I said, actually, I have. And he's like, really? And he's like, well, I can smell it on you. And I said, well, I'm a, you know, a singer in a wedding band. And we did a wedding on the Cape. And the father of the bride asked us if we wanted to stay and have a couple drinks. So I did. And now I'm driving home. And he's like, okay. Stay right there. He runs my license registration now. In the meantime, I have a cop sticker on my car. So my brother gave it to me. So he comes back, and uh, 
he says, okay, I want you to get out of the car and do a sobriety test. I said, okay. So I had my heels on. I'm like, when I do the test, I said, can I take my shoes off? He was like, yeah, take your shoes off. I don't care. And all I could think of was I was on the balance beam in eighth grade in gymnastics. And I did it. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And he's, I get back in the car. He's like, get back in the car. So I get back in the car and he's like, I'll tell you what. He's like, I see the cop sticker on your car. Who's the cop? I said, well, my uncle, my, my uncle's a lieutenant and my brother's a cop. And I said, and believe me, officer, I respect the law. My whole family are, is military and police officers. I said, I'm so sorry. He's like, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Karen. I'm going to let you, I'm going to follow you. Wow. I'm going to follow you to Braintree. And if I see you swerve, if you speed, I'm putting the cuffs on you. I'm like, okay. I'm like, thank you so much. So now I start sweating, right? And I'm one eye in it. And he turned, he did, he followed me right to Braintree. And then he turned off. And then guess what I did? I was like, shit, now I need my, now I need a drink. So I get the bottle of wine and I'm like, woo, that was a close one. I mean, that was, that yeah, was yeah. the thinking. Yep. And I told my brother that story. He goes, Karen, he could have arrested you. He's like, he didn't, he gave you a break. He goes, that's going to, that's not going to happen. The next time they're going to put the cuffs on you. Yeah. Sounds like you were a little cocky because your brother was like, <laughs> totally. I'm like, all right, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, I've been I drinking. Got, got My this. name's Karen, by the way. <laughs> and I've I been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh, my God. I, could, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't even think twice about it. That's, that's, the, that's the sick part. Like, I thought what I was doing, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah. Like, what am I doing no, wrong? No, we, we don't. We, we can't see the big picture. So, okay. So, so your brother's like, so he's like, the, the shit's about to hit the fan. Yeah. And I was single after that, you know, after that last relationship. And uh, my brother said, I think I have a guy for you. And I said, oh, okay, who? And he said his name, said Sky Dave, you know, our dad refed all our games and basketball and all that stuff. So um, I said, okay, well, what does he do for a living? He goes, what does that matter? I said, well, you know, I have to have some, you know, I have to have somebody that I have things in common with, you know. And uh, he's like, well, he's not a, a musician, Karen. He's like, how many relationships have you been through with musicians? I said, oh, you got a point. He's like, just just give it a shot. So, you know, we started dating. We hit it off immediately. Immediately, I, I just thought, this is a really great guy. Like nobody I've ever had in my life. And um, after like three, four months of being together, you know, I drove in, first of all, he has an automatic garage door. I, I drove into the house. That was one, <laughs> that was one incident. Red flag. <laughs> Wait, what does the automatic <laughs> garage door have to do with it? Because he you? gave me, he gave me the automatic <laughs> door opener. Yeah. And I opened the door and I still drove into the house. <laughs> that, 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 well, that's the, ba-dum-bum. yeah. That's and he the, comes running out and he's like, are you okay? I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't, I don't know what happened. Oh you know, gosh. I'm like drunk. Yeah. Mm. And you know, so that was a red flag. And you know, so a month later he said to me, you know, Karen, I think you drink too much. Mm. And I said, I can do this. And that's why I tried to stop on my own. That's when the hiding. It's like 2013. Yeah, this was like 2000 and right before, uh, yeah, 2013. And then, you know, I relapsed a couple times in that year. And, you know. Were you going? Were you you 
going to uh, a program? Were you? Yes. Go- yeah. I started in my home group. What made you go to AA? Why? What? Like, how did you know? Oh, well, I'll tell you what there? he said to me. Um, you know, Karen, you have a problem, and he's like, "I love you more than anything," and I'm sure there's a lot of guys that would put up with your drinking, but I'm not one of them. And he said, "You know, you're a full time job." Mm. And I don't have time for another full-time job. So if you want help, I'll help you. He goes, and if you want to continue to drink, then I can't see you. And that was like, whoa, okay, yeah. I had heard it before, but I didn't hear it like that. And I just started crying and I said, I don't know what to do. He goes, well, let's figure it out. He's like, I've heard about Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, I'm not going to AA. And he's like, what other choice do you have? He goes, you know... You can leave. You can walk out. You can go. And I thought, no. Hmm. This is a sign. And I love him too much. So initially, I stopped for him. Initially, I stopped for him. And then when I realized how hard it was, how painfully hard it was to stop, that's when I finally realized I am an alcoholic. Because it shouldn't be a problem for me to put this down. Wow. Like some people, even if they drink every weekend or whatever, like my brother's the type of guy, loves his beers, does what he does. But if the doctor says you can't drink on this medication, no problem. For him, yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, I'd be like, oh, okay, I can pull it off maybe three days and then I got to start drinking. Right. So, you know, that was that was the definitive moment for me and when I relapsed he would get mad at me this is what I was gonna ask yeah, you he'd get yeah. mad at me and I said to him were you hiding it yes and he he found the wine bottles how and, about that work huh the work the oh, pressure God. you were under to, from for that yeah from that point when you knew how much he loved you mm-hmm. like you said you you were gonna give up your greatest love booze for him mm-hmm. like awesome start right and then you fucking can't because you're addicted mm-hmm and then the work it goes into hiding. Like, what was that like? What oh. was what was that time like? It was awful. You know, I'd go to the liquor store, and I would buy my little, you know, Sutter Home bottles. And um, I remember one time when I was going over his house, I was drinking it in the car because I had to get a head start. You know, I had to get the booze in me so I could be okay. But you you had to. He didn't know. He, but you had to get the smell away too, right? Yeah. Like he didn't think you were drinking at all. Oh, no, he knew. Oh, okay. Oh, he knew. He knew. He just didn't say anything. Um, and then what he started to do was he started to open my purse and collect the bottles. And I'm like, shit, I just had a bottle in here. Where the hell did it go? You know, and um, so then he confronted me with that. And my initial reaction was, how dare you? Go into my pocketbook, go through my personal shit, and, you know, we'll defend our right to drink. No matter what, Hell yeah. you know, and I was defending my right. I said, I'm trying to do this. You have no idea. And then finally I said to him, listen, if you want to be with me and you want to help me do this, then I say get educated. You're going to need to get educated about what alcoholism is. So if you want to come in and sit in on a meeting in a meeting with me, then that would be helpful for me to know that you're kind of on this journey with me and learning about the disease of it, because what I'm told is that it's a disease. And I'm like, I said, don't you think that I want to put this down? Wow. I'm like, I can't do it. And he said, okay, I'll do that with you. 
And so we did. That was really, wow. For you to be battling and fighting, fighting, mm-hmm. and, and to be like, come learn about it. Like Basically, I hear you saying, you're yelling to him, like, I can't do this alone. I need AA and I need you to yeah. help me. Yeah. I mean, you know, his... He's a special guy, Karen. Oh, he's the best. Jeez. And I'll tell you something. This What's is, his name? His name is David. And this is how you know people are either alcoholic or they're not. So when I came into AA in 2013, he said, in support of you, I'm not going to drink. Now this guy maybe would finish a glass of wine. Maybe. And when I was actively drinking, I'd be like, what are you doing? Have another drink. You know, because I want him to drink like I'm drinking. Of course. <laughs> you know, that's no fun. <laughs> right. You know, you being sober and me having a good time, that's not going to work out for us. Uh, we pushed people. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, thank God he loved me. Mm. Thank God he loved me. Mm. And um, and then finally I had, you know, my last, this is uh, Veterans Day 2014, we're coming up on it. We are. So this is November 11th. You have a fifth year anniversary coming up next week? I do. No. Like, I do. What? Yeah. Five Did- years. If if you ever told me in 2013 that I would be looking at a five year anniversary with no alcohol, I would say, you're crazy. I can't do this. This is perfect. All right, but we'll keep it. it in today. We'll keep it Yeah, in we today. keep it in today, right? But that's so, so great. This is great. Yeah. So- um. It was 2014, and Dave and I were supposed to spend the day together, and we were supposed to like do house stuff, like put the patio furniture away, blah, 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 go out to lunch. I mean, perfect day planned. And then I see him coming down the stairs with his golf attire on at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at him, and I was immediately pissed. So he's, I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just going to go play nine holes. I said, go ahead, you do that. And I was like, fuck you. So I called my best friend, Shelly. I said, what are you doing? You have the day off? She goes, yeah. I said, meet me at the Century House. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, they serve alcohol. Meet me at the Century House. She goes, no, 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 Karen, Karen, no, no, no. I said, Shelly, either you meet me there or I'm going to go there anyway. So she's like, I'll meet you there. And I drank all day and I drank into the night. And she called him and said, she's fine. She's with me. And um, I woke up at 2 a.m. And I was like, physically, I mean, I can't even describe how I felt. And then I stopped and I reflected back. And I said, oh, my God, he's done with me. This is it. This is it. And so I stayed at her house. And then I called my sponsor at 7 a.m. Well, right, no, 6 a.m. I called her. And she's like, okay, meet me downtown Danvers. So we went to the 7 a.m. And uh, Kenny was there. And I'm sobbing, crying, sobbing. And my sponsor said, are you done? Are you done? And I said, I'm done. I said, I know it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. She's like, Karen, you will lose everything that you have if you continue to drink. Everything. Your job, you'll lose Dave, you'll lose your daughter. You're going to lose it all because that's what booze does. And, um, you know, I had to go home that day and I thought about what I was going to say to Dave. And, um, of course, naturally he came in and he didn't want to look at me, which I understand. And I said, listen, I know you've had it with me. I get it. I said, but I'm, I'm telling you, something happened last night. That never happened before. 
And I said, some people in AA call it the gift of desperation or they call it, you know, the light went on, whatever it was, the, the, the switch had flipped. And I said, I can't promise you that I'll never drink again. And I promised you that. I can't promise you that. But what I can promise you is that I'm going to do everything in my power every day not to. And either you have faith in me and we do this together or you don't. And I get it. If you're done, I get it. And he's like, nope. I love you and I want to stay with you. And I know you can do this, Karen. I know you can do this. I said, I know I can do it too. So that was like, that was it. You Mm -hmm. know, I was done. And I'm not saying it was easy from that point on because it wasn't. But I relapsed enough times in that year that I was like, every time I relapsed, it just got worse and worse. Every time. And and because now at this point, I have a head full of AA. I've heard about this. Mm -hmm. So uh, relapse just isn't part of my story. And I understand the yets and... And I understand that. Um, but I one of the healthy fears that I have about that is what you just said. And that uh, somebody said it to me this way once. Early on, I heard this, and it, it stuck with me. And he's like, think about if you play the guitar and you got your amp up on nine mm-hmm. and you rip the plug out. That's like you stopping drinking, and when you start drinking, you plug back in, and you're on nine again. Yep. There's no going back to one. Yep. And being, you know, I like to dabble in music myself, and that I think that's probably why that stuck with me, and I was like, shit, like, you mean like you can't just have, you don't go back to the start again? Don't you wish? <laughs> no, I don't, because that would be a, that would be an issue. It, no, it would. Yeah. But I mean, that's like. That's why I know. I mean, that's, I it's, know. It's, I can't ever go back. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. The, so, the, you know, once you're an alcoholic and that switch has flipped, you cannot go back. Because even though, say, I'm almost five years sober, one day at a time, mm-hmm. you know, that disease does not leave you. It is in your head, in your mind, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, there are some days that I never even think about it. I just yep. go, I go to my meetings, life is good. And then, as you know, our friend Ken would say, be yeah. ready when the bell goes off because you never know when it's going to go off. And he's absolutely right. Yep. And um, I pay attention to that. Like, yeah. what is it that I'm not doing? Or what is it that I need that I am in this place? Right. Because I know the booze isn't going to fix anything. I know for a fact if I even pick up one drink, I'm going to be off and running, whether it's within a day or whether it's within a week. It doesn't matter. It's on and it's running. And that's, that's part of the surrender, really. I mean, I'm always on step one. We're always on step one for the rest of our lives. That's what I know is true. And, you know, when I, when I hear, you know, celebrities like Keith Urban and, you know, who I met, by the way, and who's this fantastic guy... And, you know, he was a mess. He was an alcoholic and he was a drug addict. And when he met Nicole, she did what Dave did. Either if you want to stay in this with me, you got to stop. Did you talk to him about recovery at all? Did you have a minute? Well, yeah, I did. Wow. Briefly, because I was with his manager backstage and I said something and his manager said, you're a friend of Bill's. Nice. 
I said, yes, I am. He goes, well, so am I. And you know Keith is, right? Sure. And I said, I knew that. So we had this like cool little AA meeting. Dave's like off, <laughs> and, and you know, we're backstage. He's like standing there. I mean, he's like looking at all the celebrities. And here we are having an AA meeting. You, his manager, and Keith? Well, You not, and his manager. In, right, me and his yeah, manager. Yeah. And then he said, you want to meet Keith, right? Cool. I said, of course I do. Because I'll tell you, AJ, when I started getting sober, I was listening to so much of Keith Urban, especially his older records, because most of the songs that he was writing about, not all of them, were about recovery and about the pain of being in addiction. And I could just, that transmission line for me, I would be out running and I I remember one point I stopped and I was just listening to this and I just started bawling my eyes out. I mean, he saved me. He was, he, he really did. Yeah. And I said that to him. I said, I want to thank you. I said, I'm sober. And you were part of that journey, whether, you know, you don't know that. That's so cool. And he's like, that's so great, love. And he's like, keep on, keep on. He said, keep on doing it. I said, I am. I said, you too, you know. And he's like, he's like, it's beautiful on this side, isn't it? Yeah. And I said, yeah, it is. You talk about, that's that's a cool story. It's a very cool story. and, And I love, you know, you talk about the music part of it and keeping you sober and that is a huge tool for me, and I I, I, I say this often um, when the topic – I go to a Sunday morning beginners meeting in Wakefield, mm-hmm. which is unbelievable. I've been to that. Oh, it's fantastic. And they have a topic for the day, and if it's tools, I, us- I like to talk about music and podcasts, but music specifically, if I put a song on that touches me, like you just said, that – can drastically change my mood from oh, literally yeah. depressed to grateful. That is, that is like, this is something that I need to use. Um, I, I tell people if they need help with, you know, putting music on your phone or whatever, it's easy. Like I'll help you do it because it helps me find music that makes you smile or brings you joy and hit, put it on a playlist and then build your playlist mm-hmm. and listen to that daily or at least if you're in a funk, put that on. Yeah. You know, shut the fucking news off and yeah. put this on. Well, Keith Urban wrote a song and it's called You're Not My God. And it's basically talking about alcohol, money, cocaine. You know, and he talks about how it just ripped everything from him. How it's just going to take you down. And, you know, the message is, you're not my God. You're not the one that's going to walk with me. In the end, you're not the one that's going to be there. I mean, just talking about that, I get chills. You know, because we think it's our best friend. That's what we think when we're drinking. Yeah, the big lie. The big lie. So who are some, can you recommend, uh, obviously, Keith Urban? Oh, so powerful for me. For me, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, for instance, I love um, Elevation Worship. I don't know if you know them. I don't know them. And, um, yeah, there's, there's, I, I, I mean, happen- Elton John, too. I mean, Elton John is one of us. Right. And, you know, who else that I didn't know I read about that just got sober? Oh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Who knew? Right. 
right? I know. I love hearing about that stuff. You know, so you think like money's going to make me happy. Um, and not that, I mean, yeah, these people are just like us, not not the goo and guy. I mean, they're people. They're, they're people. They're Absolutely. Got a, they're having a fleshy experience like us. Yeah. But what I like is that they come out. And so the fact that Brad Pitt's out, who knows, the kid that loves Brad Pitt movies and is struggling may be like, wow. Yeah. And that may, may inspire. That's what I like about that. Yeah. And then. I know you do too. But. I mean, you know, there there are so many Not to of put us. Words in your mouth. Yeah, well, you know, you put the right words in. So, I mean, that's just the whole thing about, you know, this journey. I mean, Billy Joel had a problem with alcohol too, um, and even Paul McCartney, who's my all-time favorite. Paul said, you know, I had a little bit of a running with a scotch, you know, and yeah, I kind of put that down. So, you know, I mean, I think that there's more of us out there. I mean, think about who's in AA. And then sometimes I stop and pause in a meeting and I'll actually pray for the people that are suffering from this because um, we're lucky. We are the lucky ones. We're lucky that we're here. And um, I don't take that for granted, you know. I don't take that for granted. You know, my sobriety is so important to me. I mean, it has to be the number one slot. It has to be the number one thing that I take care of, you know, whether or not I need to. There are some days I wake up, I'm great. I still need, I still need to hear the message, whether it's a phone call with my sponsor, whether it's going to a meeting, whether it's talking with another alcoholic. I make sure I AA is in my life every single day. Just to end quick. So you say um, you do everything you can in your power to stay that to to stay sober. So you wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Is there a routine that you have or do you Yeah. Could- I wake up and I lay in bed. I don't just jump out of bed. And I and I actually think about how much I'm grateful for and where my life is now and where it could have been. So that's the first thing I do. And then uh, I pray for those that are in my life that do need help, one of them being my daughter. And um, all I can do there is be there for her in every way possible. Try to be a positive role model without being too parental, so to speak. Like if you do this, la, 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 this is going to happen. And if you do this, I'm going to do. I try not to go there with her. I try to just relay the message and I try to identify with what she's feeling. Um, How old is she? She's 20. And she's very well aware of what she's doing. What's she doing? She's medicating herself at night with it. And, you know, she lives with my ex-husband and he turns a blind eye to it. So she's in an environment where it's very easy for her to do that um, if she lived with me. That wouldn't be an option for her. So I have to keep putting one foot in front of the other every day. And If your daughter was listening to this, what would you say to her? I would tell her I love her and that I have her. I mean, I have her back 100%. And I have told her this. This is a disease. And if you think you can outsmart this, then you're 100% wrong. Okay. So I, we think you, you. We think she's one of us. I know she's one of us. Okay. Mm. I mean, if you're self-medicating at night, that's not social drinking. Mm. 
That's not going out with your friends and having a good time. So we've had in-depth conversations about this. And um, I've just been honest and truthful with her. If I smell alcohol on her breath, I'm like, what have you been doing? And, you know, we had a family sit down on Tuesday. And um, my ex-husband is in complete denial of all this. Yes, he admits he's been talking to her and saying, I wish you wouldn't do this so much. I wish you wouldn't drink. And here is the irony. He's a recovered alcoholic, but I should say he's a sober alcoholic because there's a big difference between being sober and being in recovery. Huge difference. You tell me what the difference is. What do you think? Well, how can you grow as a human being? I mean, how do you grow without coming into AA and even if you don't do the steps, it took me three years to do the steps. But when I did them, I got it. Listening to other people's experiences, listening to the, the wonderful stories of recovery and the pain of what it's like to be in the throes of alcoholism. I mean, all of it. It's like, how can you grow as a person when you're just sober? We, pick, we, we mature in the program, don't we? We grow up. We and, and he hasn't grown up. That's the difference. He hasn't grown up. So he still is very defiant and he will he will defend what he's doing. He's a good parent. And um, you know, I said, No, you're not. <laughs> By allowing her to do this, you're hurting her. And I hold you responsible. And I looked at my daughter and I hold you responsible. I said, So what I said, I can't keep coming in here and cleaning the messes. Since she's lived with you, she has spiraled downhill. Since she made that choice as a teenager, and I have been there dragging her to the finish line every step of the way because he'd let her miss school, you know, and not that I want to say like, uh, oh, here I am coming to the rescue, but it literally has been here I am coming to the rescue. Yeah. And when, when do you draw the line between rescuing somebody and taking care of yourself? She's yes. an adult. She's an adult, but she's not. Right. No, no, I, I understand. She's an adult, but she's not an adult. And yeah. as long as I can be there for her, um, hopefully I'm planting the seeds of something. You're a role model, Karen. You're a wonderful role model for her. I mean, you have, look at you. Well, you know, I know you, so accept that you are. And I, you know, I have kids and I I believe that this is a, a, a genetic issue. I do too. And so- not that I worry about it because I used to worry about them anymore, but I am concerned. Mm-hmm. And I tell my buddies and I talk to my sponsors and my close friends and, 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 and the way I find peace is I do everything I can to be a good role model to them. That's what I can do today. I can't, whatever happens tomorrow, whatever God has, whatever the plan is, it's the plan. Yeah. But I know what I can control and I cannot drink today, just like you're doing. Right. And I can work on things to, you know, just try, just try and be a, a just try and be, be a, a better person, a good human being. And, you know, and I know she sees these things that I do. Um, she would often say to me, you know, I'm sorry, but I can't measure up to you or whatever I do isn't enough. And I said, I have never said that to you. That's you saying that to mm. you. I said, I've always encouraged you. I mean, she's a, she's a beautiful girl inside mm. and out. I mean, mm. she's so intelligent. Mm. 
I mean, she was, uh, you know, honor student until she went to live with him. And thank God she was able to catch up on all her work because she is so smart. But she doesn't, she doesn't give herself a chance to really be who she is. Mm. Um, and I do believe that this disease is genetic. And I t- I've told her that. I said, if you look at your aunts on your father's side of the family, I mean, on my side of the family, there was only two people, my great uncle and my aunt that had alcoholism. So how the hell did I get it? Mm. doesn't matter how I got it. Like, why, why, <laughs> why can I sing and my brothers and sisters can't? That's right. Like, why? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I've had gifts that have been given to me, and I've also had things that have been challenging that have Yeah, like happened. diseases, maladies. Yeah. Yes. You know, illnesses like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I talked to my daughter about that, you know, her mental state of mind, and she actually said to me, you know what, Mom? I wish I was a stupid hillbilly. <laughs> What? Living on a farm. Oh, just and not caring about anything. Oh, right, right. And not drink thinking my beer about and milk the cows. <laughs> yep. And plow the fields. Yep. She goes. I wish I didn't have any thoughts and in I... my head. <laughs> if you are a hillbilly and listening, I apologize. Exactly. <laughs> we we actually respect you. <laughs> yeah, of course. I would love to be a farmer. Actually, yeah. Like, how cool would that be? To, to I mean, hard, hard, hard work. Yeah. I said, you well, know. Jackie, you know why maybe they don't stop and think. Because they're too busy. Yeah, well, they're too busy, right? They're too busy nurturing and and maintaining what they have to preserve. And you know, even if you are a busy person and you have this disease, it, it's going to get you. Yes, I mean, and I don't mean that as like it's going to get you. I mean that is it's it's going to get you. Yeah. It is going to get you, and it doesn't matter. You know, like I said, if you're right out of the gates with it, which my daughter seems to be, she's like right out of the gate with it. And I'm hoping and praying that she, she, you know, hits a bottom enough that she can get sober early. That's, that's kind of what I'm, that's what I hold on to every day. God, let it happen fast. Let it happen fast. Let it happen hard and help her to rebound from this. I know that may seem kind of screwed up. But I don't want her to have, I don't want her to go on and on with this thing. Makes sense to me. You know, I don't want her to wake up at 30 years old and say, I wasted my 20s, you know? And I hope and pray that that doesn't happen. She will find her way. I hope, I hope she, I hope she's well. I hope so too. I know that she, you know, she's got a mother who is a role model. So that's huge. And I talk to her, you know, every day and I see her. A few times a week, we do things Good. together. Good. And, you know. So, have- what else do you do? So, you wake up and you say your prayers and then you go to work and. Yeah, and I get you up. Try to and go I. To yeah. A morning meeting, an afternoon. Do you not get to I don't. A I don't have time to go to a morning one. Yeah. Um, yeah neither do I. Yeah. I don't have time for that. But what I do is um, I have a couple of apps on my phone one is like a daily reflection type sure. thing yeah. but it's actually called um oh my gosh i can't think of the name That's of it okay. but it's melody Beatty. um it's her second book I, I should look it up but anyway um i love her pause do you have that on there why can't i think of it what's her name melody Beatty. it's on my phone i'll actually and my sponsor turned me on to this and it's right here okay the language of letting go. Okay. And so every day. And like, that's an app that you download? Yes. And so today's quote would be the grief process. Um, 
Sure. So every day there's a reading in here yeah. that I relate to. Yeah. And it's for people in recovery, yeah. no matter what the what their the recovery is, whether it's drugs, whether yeah. it's uh, a, you know, bad relationships. Sure. So that is one thing I do, and I also have another um, AA app. It's the AA Workshop that I am. I love that app. Good. And I also have a sobriety um, blog with a that I read all the time from Beck Sweller. If you don't know who she is, she was a she's a writer, and she's from London. And her story is amazing. And she was actually a health coach while she was drinking. I mean, and she talks about, you know, talk about being a fraud, you know. Um, but right. it, yeah, and we have, I think we have the same length of sobriety, but she's uh, she's an author. And um, cool. so I read her first book, My Sexy Sobriety. And, um, you know, so she you posts. Connected. Yes. And she posts these things on Instagram almost every day. Yeah. So there's so much out there. There's so much out there, which I mean, is wonderful, right? Yeah. I mean, think about 1939 when they wrote this book. They had people, they had guys and women. You know, they had these folks driving 11, 12, 13 hours to go to a meeting. That's crazy, right? Because they wanted it. Yeah. And here's the thing: back then, I mean, I don't think it was discussed. I mean, maybe it was. But not like it is today. Oh no! I mean, and that's the beautiful thing. So, you know. And I love the awareness. Is just it's just the the awareness is progressing in a, in a very good fashion. In a, and thank God, in a fashion favorable to recovery. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade my life for anything. Good, bad, wonderful, um, all of it. I mean, this is life on life's terms. And I believe if, if you're anybody that's listening, if you're contemplating whether you want to go to AA or if you don't know what to do, I would say walk into a meeting. If you don't like it, there's another one. I mean, if you think about all the work it took to drink, especially at the end, what have you got to lose? And my sponsor said, you need to chase sobriety like you chase the booze. And that that stays true to me. And I have to check in. Am I hitting my am I chasing my sobriety today? Like am I chasing it like I would chase hiding that bottle of wine? Am I doing that? And I have to be honest with myself. Honesty. That's great advice. Yeah. Well, we have an hour and twelve minutes in the books. Excellent. I'm so So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. You have a you 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 have a uh, a wonderful my friend Dennis who sits next to me you spoke today and he's he's doing great oh he's good gonna, he's doing great and he goes do you know her at all every time I see her walk in and I hear her talk I think to myself geez what a woman the way she carries herself and the way she speaks I love to listen to her do you know her at all I go she's coming over in a half hour to do a podcast <laughs> He's like, nice. I so. mean, it's just, it's awesome. And and the world works in mysterious ways. Yes, and, does. you know, we knew each other as youngsters. Not really. No. I mean, I mean, I think I knew your sister yeah. more than I knew you. Julie, but, she's And a, Julie, yes, she, and Luann. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I know, you yeah, know. And yeah. uh, it's just funny how yeah. these paths, you know, we cross. And then here we are again. Connected. Connected. Well, thanks a million. Thanks, AJ. I'd love to see you. I'm so glad you're well, and I'll be thinking about you. And, and, oh, 
five years next week. One day at a time. God willing. Yes, yes, yes. All Amazing. Right, Thank you, AJ. All right, Karen. Bye. Bye. So I got to ask you. You got to go. Yeah. But the play, Les Mis. Les Mis are Yeah. Did you, did you ever do any of those songs? We, you know well, I do. I teach them, actually. Yeah. yeah and I-